Hello out there in podcast world. This is Renew Gurus, your source for all things energy policy and politics in Missouri and beyond. I'm Executive Director James Owen, coming to you live on tape from my undisclosed location here in Columbia, Missouri. Um, we are actually moving our palatial studios in Columbia. We are actually going to be at a new address. I will uh, just give you all a little uh, information that is going to be 915 East Ash, downtown Columbia, 65201. So all your checks and hate mail can come to that address now. So it's a little easier than when we were at an office that had a building and a suite number. So this will be a lot shorter. So, um, you know, efficiency. Uh, on today's podcast, uh, we are going to be talking to Eric Hattlestead. He is with Cure. Um, Eric, you're on here. What is, does Cure stand for? Something is it an acronym? Uh, well, so it uh, once stood for Clean Up the River Environment, but just like FFA, uh, it doesn't stand for anything anymore. So we're just Cure now. You're just Cure. You're <laughs> you are you are what solves all ails. Well. Um, Eric is somebody I started. We start. I started working with. I think Philip started working with him much longer than me. But we started working together uh, almost three years ago uh, when we started working on the Rural Power Coalition and working on this um, rural electric cooperative sort of clean energy transition, which eventually got put into the Inflation Reduction Act, which eventually passed. And uh, he's a part of this group that we work with. Um, as Renew Missouri's in there with Cure. Uh, with groups in Kentucky, Tennessee, and now all over the place. We got groups in, in tribal areas. We got group, groups in the South. Uh, it's very exciting. But uh, we've had Eric on to talk about the federal farm bill. Um, now, Eric, kind of with Cure, uh, before we get to anything about the federal farm bill, what do you do? What do you do with this organization up there in Minnesota? Sure. Um, so we are really focused on the transition of rural electric cooperatives from uh, their reliance on fossil fuels to clean energy. And, um, you know, one of the really important things we see as a byproduct of this transition is really revitalizing the uh, cooperative democracy that electric cooperatives were built on. So mm -hmm. we think about we think about the clean energy transition in rural America, um, both from the lens of, you know, how can we, um, you know, have big conversations and democratic conversations about the future of rural communities, but also, um, you know, how do we, how do we make the kind of investments in our rural utility system that fundamentally improve rural people's lives across the country just like the Rural Electrification Act did starting in 1936. Right. And when you say democratic, you mean that with a small d. Oh, yes. Small Lowercase d. d. <laughs> cooperative <laughs> democracy. That's yeah, right. cooperative <laughs> democracy. Yeah. Just want to make sure our tax status is intact. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, are you, so that is your focus. What that you co-ops are your focus. That's the primary thing you work on. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah, this uh, is relatively new to Re Re Renew Missouri. We have always tried to find a way to um, work with rural electric cooperatives. This is kind of the first opportunity we've had to do it. Um, I mean, so which kind of makes me wonder in Minnesota, um, you know, like I kind of want to know a little bit about like how your rural electric cooperatives are set up there. I mean, 
you have, I mean, do you have a setup where you have like a power supplier and generation and transmission organizations and then a bunch of smaller distributive electric co-ops? Is that how you all are set up? Sure. Yeah. Uh, well, so Minnesota is uh, the birthplace of cooperatives in the United States. So is it? Uh, it is. So the uh, the congressman who wrote the Capper-Volstead Act, which legalized co-ops, um, uh, is his name was Congressman Andrew Volstead, and uh, he's oh. he lived in the town just uh, ten miles down the road from where Cure's office is so in Granite Falls, Minnesota. Now, uh, Congressman Andrew Volstead also wrote uh, Prohibition, but we, you know, oh. we'll forgive him for that one. He's uh, very notorious. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but so, you know, the the uh, kind of uh, agrarian populist uh, movements of the early 20th century were really strong uh, yeah. in the uh, upper Midwest and, well, really across the center of the country, but in Minnesota, uh, it, uh, you know, it turned into the formation of all of these different uh, ag cooperatives and, you know, uh, right. informed a lot of how Minnesota's public policy worked um, for, uh, well, still today. Um, but so the, the very, one of the very first electric cooperatives in the country was created, you know, just uh, down the road from where uh, Congressman Volstead lived and just down the road from Cure's office. Wow. Um, which was uh, Stony Run Electric, which uh, was created even before uh, the Rural Electrification Act. Um, and uh, so, you know, today, of course, it's, uh, it's the cooperative system in Minnesota is much more robust um, sure. than just uh, <laughs> than just a uh, just Stony one. Run. Yeah. Um, so there are currently 44 um, distribution cooperatives across yep. Minnesota. They cover about 80% of the total land mass of Minnesota. Yeah. Um, and then there are six generation and transmission cooperatives that, uh, that cover Minnesota as well. Um, the largest one is great river energy. Um, and, uh, the, there are others, you know, there's Dareland, um, which largely covers Wisconsin, but also covers, oh. um, parts of minnesota and then there's um then there's Minkota electric and then the others are basin and basin associate uh cooperatives as well yeah. that cover it um so so we really have uh you know a very diverse and robust kind of uh set of cooperatives in mm -hmm. in minnesota uh, that yeah. serve uh you know almost half of minnesotans their uh electric power are they uh, are they regulated by the state regular like utility rate making agency there or no? Uh, no, they're not. Um, they they can um, they can willfully be regulated. They can oh. elect to be regulated, which one has. Um, and that's a Dakota Electric in um, in the south suburbs, uh, just south of of Minneapolis and uh, Saint Paul. Um, but the uh, the and that's just as far as distribution co-ops go. Right. Um, the generation and transmission co-ops um, are kind of regulated by the Public Utilities Commission in Minnesota. So they can file an optional integrated resource plan. Oh, I see. Um, but um, unlike how the Public Utilities Commission is allowed to interact with uh, investor-owned utilities in Minnesota, 
um, they they have much a much more limited uh, capacity to um, you know say you know you should change X Y Z. Um, you know, largely they can just say um, this is a good plan and we approve it, um, or this is a bad plan and you need to improve yeah. it. Um, and they have actually uh, denied one of uh, Great River Energy's integrated resource plans in the last um, last ten years. Um, so you know, I think we oh. have a little bit more oversight than some states, but still very yeah. largely unregulated by you, the utilities commission sounds like you have more than missouri does um that's that's probably true yeah <laughs> that's true. yeah <laughs> um well that's interesting I'm, I'm sitting here wondering like why you know you said they're they they they, they can they're kind of regulated which i always kind of think that sounds like you're kind of pregnant um <laughs> why would they opt to want their irp approved am i is there something is there an incentive that minnesota offers if you get an approved irp that maybe we don't have in missouri or is it just i you know i think it, at the time it was just part of a uh, a compromise that was uh Aha. struck policy or some policy wheeling and dealing that happened a couple of decades <laughs> ago okay um but uh you know the the story of uh the um Dakota Electric, the distribution co-op becoming regulated, you know, is totally a, a story of uh, member owner advocacy in, you know, pushing for their cooperative yeah. to be regulated um, by the Utilities Commission because they were unsatisfied with how they were doing business and how they were, you know, conducting uh, and how what they were charging for their rates. Yeah. Granted, and today, um, Dakota Electric is really one of the uh, more forward-thinking co-ops in Minnesota, and I would say one of the most forward-thinking co-ops in the country when it comes to yeah. the clean energy tra transition. And I think can partially credit that to the long-standing, um, you know, member owners getting involved in in their cooperative over the last several decades, um, which is kind of cool. Wow! Yeah, that is cool. And I mean, you know, and and I think. It for me, it goes without saying, I mean, one of the reasons you're a part of this rural power coalition is because you, the Minnesota co-op still have a pretty significant reliance on coal overall though. Did they not? Yeah, that's correct. Um, so the vast majority of the electricity, um, being, uh, <laughs> being distributed in Minnesota by co-ops still comes from coal. Yeah. Um, you know, basin electric of course is, uh, one of or the most carbon intensive utility in the country um and uh, uh you know great river energy is also um also still up there but they're i think they're making really strong moves towards the transition i i think they're actually one of the best positioned co-ops in the country to really do something exciting out of the inflation reduction act yeah mm. um just because they've, you know, they've been moving towards it. They, they've had some pretty, uh, uh, I think, forward-thinking leaders, both on their board and in their uh, executive team that, you know, have definitely attempted to make strides towards it. Granted, mm -hmm. um, uh, the, the big thing that has happened over the last couple of years um, has been their, they've actually sold um, their, 
their their biggest coal plant, which was located in North Dakota, to a merchant generator. Um, really? So the the attempt or their idea was they were going to be retiring this coal plant pretty quickly and then replacing uh, replacing it with a bunch of uh, wind at the end of the uh, transmission line there. Um, because it was located in North Dakota, um, the state of North Dakota did not like that. Um, and uh, essentially, the counties that uh, exist or that, you know, are at the end of this or that are the host communities for this coal plant rely on it for a lot of economic activity, um, essentially blocked the uh, the new wind development that Great River Energy had proposed there. Mm. So as part of the the deal, um, this plant was sold to a uh, um, a merchant generator, which had pretty significant backing from the state of North Dakota. Um, and uh, they're they're still so they're still uh, receiving power generated by that uh, okay. by that coal plant. Um, it was it was quite a quite an ordeal. Um, uh, <laughs> for a variety of different reasons, mostly because, you know, it was really exciting that uh, GRE had announced that they were heading in this direction and, you know, to have that kind of uh, them being pushed into uh, this direction by, you know, a a fossil fuel, uh, you know, dominated government is uh, pretty disappointing. Yeah, well, that's interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's just, it's just interesting, like all the different travails and issues that you've got going on in different states. Um, and I mean, you know, and usually like when we're talking about, you know, the connection we have with rural power coalition and it being coal dependent, um, you know, I think one of the things that surprises a lot of people, uh, I have found in Missouri, now that we've started talking to people about it, is how much money comes from the federal government to the rural electric cooperatives. It really, I don't know if it necessarily should be surprising since they are a creation of the federal government, but there is, uh, but they do, I mean, and then they get private sources of funding. There are private entities involved, but they do receive money from the USDA. I believe that's how that works. I mean, a little, uh, I mean, and that's probably the case up in Minnesota as well, primarily with their energy generation. Yeah, there's, you know, there's been a variety of different shifts in where financing is is held. Um, you know, uh, one of the big pushes around when the clean power plan was announced back in, that was 2013, if memory serves, 2014, somewhere in there. Yeah. yeah. Uh, a lot of the uh, generation transmission co-ops kind of sprinted out of having their financing through the, the federal government because right. they were worried they were uh, you know going to be penalized for their coal reliance um so so many of them have uh, left uh the rural utility service for that and other reasons um but um yeah it's uh you know i i i think the history of rural electrification is really really inspiring to me i mean it is the one of the most successful examples of social democracy in in this country right Uh, i mean the the fact that um we were able to take you know less than 10 percent of um 
of rural communities having electricity in 1936 to almost 100% by 1950 is crazy. That's it's amazing. That's, it's really, really, yeah, an incredible story. Um, and, and what's what's interesting, and I don't know if you shared this, but somebody shared this in our group, but you know, I think now about, you know, all the fights that we're seeing in rural parts of the country about generation of wind and solar. And there's a lot of people that were panicked about electricity being run through rural areas back then. A lot of people saying like, this is going to be harmful to livestock. This is going to be harmful to crop uh, production, harmful to humans. Uh, I mean, it's funny how you saw the, the, the same, uh, I don't, I guess fear mongering is the phrase I would use, but we still see like some of the same issues being raised, uh, even, you know, 80, 90 years later. Um, but there was resistance to this back then, even then. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's always interesting. Um, you know, Minnesota, certainly no stranger to kind of, uh, routing fights, um, <laughs> either recently, <laughs> Recently around uh, uh, different pipeline issues, um, which yeah. I would say are more, uh, the concerns around are much more credible. Um, but, you know, in in the late 70s and early 80s, we had a, even we had a very huge um, transmission fight across, um, across Minnesota that was, you know, more about just a, uh, well, it, it was actually uh, done by the predecessors of Great River Energy, um, and it was the transmission line for specifically the coal plant they just sold. Um, uh, essentially, they had uh, drawn a straight line across um, across North Dakota and Minnesota um, to build this transmission line, and refused essentially to route it along the interstate. Um, mm, right. And so. A lot of the farmers uh, in uh, in our area were very very unhappy with that, and uh, uh, it it's a pretty fascinating story. Uh, just Google uh, the Battle of Stearns County sometime. Uh, it's uh, essentially like the governor at the time called out half of the half of the state patrol to guard uh, the uh, essentially transmission builders. Uh, and, uh, you know, huge groups of farmers would come and like spray manure on, uh, on state patrol officers. And, um, was, was it the Paul Wellstone worked with that group? That's right. Yep. I think you and I, yeah, we've talked about that before. Paul Wellstone actually might've written a book about it, didn't he? He did. It's a great book, yeah. Powerline. Um, strongly recommend, uh, yeah. to, to everyone out in podcast world to read that book. It's, <laughs> it, it's very informative, I think, to kind of the, well, really the history, part of the kind of history of rural democracy, but um, very insightful, I think, on, uh, you know, where we are today. Yeah. yeah. Paul Wellstone, gone over 20 years now. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, I remember that day. Gosh, that was a, that was a horrible deal. I was like, uh, ugh. man, I was, I was back I, 20 years ago. I was more involved with politics. I am now and I, you know, I, we really, you know, that was a really, na that was a really nasty race and uh, we are no strangers to losing politicians like that here in Missouri through, through that way. But uh, anyway, um, yeah, so, and, and so with 
with all this, you know, with there being like kind of this federal influence with co-ops, um, you know, you have been uh, working really hard, really diligently. Um, Philip Frasica with our group has been working with you. Uh, right now, the, the the farm bill is up for uh, consideration with the U.S. Congress. I'm kind of curious. I, I kind of wanted to have you on here talk a little bit about like what what is your focus with that? What what is it that is of of, of interest to cure your interest? What what are you working on with that specifically? Sure. Um, so as uh, as we all know. The Inflation Reduction Act was passed last year, and the mechanism they used to pass it was uh, rec budget reconciliation, right? Yep. So because of that process, um, that means that everything that we passed um, during the Inflation Reduction Act that's related to agriculture or could is structured under um, parts of the, uh, the farm bill or... Um, uh, or parts of the farm bill's budget means that all of that is up for renegotiation right. or rewriting um, in this current farm bill's process because the farm bill uh, currently expires later this year. Um, so for those of you out in podcast world who aren't super hip to the uh, the farm bill, um, yeah. essentially it's it's usually a five year long bill or governs. A lot of different federal policy around um, farming, around uh, nutrition, you know, so that's where um, like the uh, food stamps program is funded out of, mm -hmm. uh, also has a lot to do with rural development, um, so support for rural homeowners, rural businesses, and uh, a you know, chunk of it has to do with uh, energy, so uh yeah, specifically related to rural electric cooperatives. And um, in the Inflation Reduction Act, we had a couple of pretty historic investments made in sure uh, did. Uh, rural electrification, yeah. um, which is really exciting. Um, but um, because of because it was passed through budget reconciliation and because the farm bill expires this year, that means that um you know we we essentially could be at risk of uh having some of those investments either changed uh lang you know the programs could be altered or uh the money that is uh dedicated to those programs could be moved to other sections of the farm sure. bill um or entirely eliminated right um which you know, we haven't, we haven't even gotten the, or the USDA, the rural utility service hasn't even gotten the programs uh, set up yet. We expect those to come out later this year. Right. Um, but, you know, it would be a real tragedy if these historic investments in the rural clean energy transition were eliminated before they even had a chance to be implemented and start, uh, you know, changing how rural electric cooperatives are able to approach the clean energy transition uh yeah. it would be uh yeah extremely counterproductive <laughs> right yeah i mean so and just just as a reminder to the five listeners i have that um you know the the big thing that you know eric and i and rural power coalition worked on was a 9.7 billion 
with a B dollar um, allocation uh, that was going to help uh, rural electric cooperatives around the country transition to clean energy if they were to submit a plan to the rural utility services, which is, you know, the division of USDA that kind of deals with financing uh, co-ops and they pro they provide a plan and if that money if that plan is approved, then the money that they receive, which is up to $970 million, that initially as a loan would be a forgivable grant. Very good. Very exciting. Um, but that could be gone, is what you're saying. <laughs> yes, that is correct. Um, so we obviously don't want that to happen. We don't want no. it to <laughs> We actually would like more money to be put in that program because... Yes. Um, the uh, the scale of the the pro or the you know the scale of the barriers to the rural clean energy transition are enormous. Um, yes. Uh, so you know we view this as a down payment on what is actually needed to get every co-op all the way to you know through a clean energy transition. Yeah. And and as we were kind of talking about earlier with the you know we don't have a lot of state oversight for co-ops, so really this money is the primary way that you can affect change. Uh, for co-ops uh, from the federal level. Um, uh, so, okay. So, um, so I guess my question is, where is that at in this process? So it's, it's really just beginning. So the, both the Senate and house ag committees are, have begun to hold um, hearings or listening sessions, both in Washington, DC and around the country on uh you know, and just hearing from organizations and from uh, uh, people around the country, you know, what they care about. Um, this kind of standard farm bill uh, practice is to hold these different uh, listening sessions around the country. Um, and, uh, you know, later this year, both chambers or both committees will um, will write their version of of the bill and they'll, okay. you know, go through the whole process there. Um, but there is always a risk that, um, that the committees won't reach an agreement on the farm bill and the farm bill will expire, which has happened multiple times in the last 20 years. So the, the United States has gone several years uh, in between farm bills being passed in the last in the last couple of decades, I, right. I want to, yeah. So it's, uh, it, it can be much more dragged out, um, than, you know, folks expect. And, uh, you know, based on how kind of, uh, you know, hostile or divisive the current tenor is with politics right now, I wouldn't be surprised if, the mm -hmm. uh, farm bill was allowed to expire and we go into overtime. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, uh, uh, that's just speculation. It's we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, but, uh, you know, for us right now, we're, we're, you know, beginning our advocacy to defend these programs with, uh, with the, uh, uh, both Senate and house ag committees, um, during this kind of opening process of, uh, of the farm bill. Mm-hmm. And these listening sessions, I mean, are these, uh, how are these advertised? How do people find out about them? Are they, are they in person? Are they virtual? Uh, uh, so oh. far they've been, uh, they've been in person and that's usually 
what they've done. Uh, I'm not, I'm not certain if they'll do uh, virtual ones, um, but uh, you know, generally, generally the uh, different uh, uh, committee chairs will announce when they're when they're doing one. Um, okay. I think I think there was there was one either last week or the week before in Pennsylvania um, mm -hmm. because uh, the new Republican House uh, Ag Committee chair is G.T. Thompson, so from Pennsylvania. I see. Okay. Um, but you know, uh, I, there's also a bit of politics at play with considering like where the listening sessions are held to, right? So, uh, of course. Um, <laughs> so, so like one of oftentimes in the past, because uh, in Cures uh, congressional district, we had the uh, Congressman Peterson, the longtime egg or uh, egg uh, committee chair, who is a Democrat, um, was the egg committee chair or the uh, Democratic or the Democrat, I guess DFL, I should say, because we're in Minnesota, we don't have a Democratic Party. We have right, a right. Farmer Labor Party. Um, we're quasi Canadian politics up there. <laughs> <laughs> so one, one of one of the last holdovers uh, from the uh, old uh, agrarian uh, populist yeah. movements, us in yeah. North Dakota. Um, but so he was the he was the ag chair for a long time, or the ranking. Uh, member and there's generally a lot of listening sessions held in in minnesota and specifically sure. at at farm fest which is a big kind of uh industrial agriculture trade show um a couple hours south of me um, sure which is always always fun to to go to or something like that <laughs> Uh, when I lived in Springfield, we had a big farm fest there at the local fairgrounds. I always went with my dad back in the day. Yeah. I get to see a lot of neat equipment, get to deal with a lot of people who hated my politics. <laughs> yep, yep. A lot of good food too, though. <laughs> sounds sounds familiar. Get to yeah. climb on the get to climb on the the half million dollar combines and go. Well, we're never going to own one of these on the farm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was like, man, some of this equipment's pretty fancy considering farmers always talk about how they have no money. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I wasn't sure if that was just my dad or that was every farmer, but um, <laughs> yeah. So, so, so like right now, so if these listening sessions are in person and you're in Missouri and our congressional delegation sometimes leaves a little bit to be desired uh what what is it that a missourian can do that cares about this 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 uh, this funding issue to uh, to make sure that their voice is heard well you know i think uh i think obviously working and uh working with uh, renew missouri is a great way to uh, uh get involved with uh with all this um but you know i i think i i think that uh I wouldn't necessarily be surprised uh, to see some uh, some members of congressional delegations who we generally expect to be more opposed to this kind of stuff come around because we, uh, you know, the the electric cooperatives uh, themselves, the industry themselves also don't want to see this this money go away. Um, I wasn't sure if that was like public or not. I don't know how public. I know that there is some more. That's they're kind of moving more in the direction of supporting some of this money that was already allocated, aren't they? Uh, just just between you and me, they they've signed on to our our letter. Ooh. 
Yeah, which I knew. <laughs> I wasn't sure if we could say that yet, but like no one listens to this, so it's fine. <laughs> well, it's the the letter's going to be out next week, I think. Okay. So, um. So. Right. Everyone will know then. Everybody um, will know. <laughs> yeah. So so I think I'm I'm hopeful that you know we're going to be able to demonstrate how strong of support this has because you know I I I wouldn't necessarily shy away from you know uh talking with your um or talking with some members of the delegation who you may uh, may expect to be more opposed to this. You know, I'm sure they'll probably talk about how great clean coal is or natural gas or, mm-hmm. you know, some other, some other nonsense, but uh, <laughs> you know uh, I think with, with the right uh, with the right financial tools, which we have helped give co-ops in the inflation reduction act, um, it's really hard for for fossil fuel generation to continue to make sense just on a totally market driven perspective. Um, I mean, wind will win every single time uh, without a doubt. Um, so uh, yeah, I, I think that's I think that's the the big thing uh, folks in Missouri can do is uh, well, one, uh, get involved with Renew Missouri uh, and uh, you know, uh, also talk, if you're an electric co-op member owner in Missouri, uh, talk to your, talk to your board or the elected members of your board, talk to, um, the general manager of your co-op and ask them, you know, what your plan is or what their plan is for, uh, accessing some of this, this money out of, uh, the inflation reduction act, whether they're, um, you know, going for, one of the many department of energy programs whether they're thinking about you know is there what what can we do in terms of local wind now that we have access to um you know direct pay for tax credits um or if they're pushing you know associated to make a really big proposal on uh you know uh new clean energy investments and decarbonizing yeah. their a generation portfolio um so so that uh a lot of different options that folks in missouri can do but those are the three i would say get involved with renew missouri talk to your co-op and uh you know reach out to your um or email (laughs) talk to your congress people yeah yeah and certainly right now we are we're doing a lot to reach out to rural uh electric cooperative member owners Tell them that they need to be talking to their to their just their local cooperative about what is going to be done, what can be done, and so yeah, that's a, that's a new that's a newer thing for us. We have not really delved into that a lot, but lately we have been able we have been doing a lot of work in that, and we're really hoping that uh, it can make a difference. Um, I think you all have been doing it for a long time, and I think you have found that it sounds like there are there have been some results in Minnesota. Uh, that you that you can that you can really tout. Absolutely. Um, you know, we've we've been at this for well, I I've been working on co-op issues for about 10 years now. Other folks in uh Kira have been working on it for longer. Mm-hmm. Um but you know, I think we're we're really reaching a tipping point with with some co-ops. Um, you know, yeah. there's there's a couple of co-ops in Minnesota who are really or well distribution co-ops who are really uh you know pursuing some really interesting transition projects 
Um, and you know, I'm I'm continually hopeful that uh, that Great River Energy is going to continue moving forward uh, with their uh, transition. Um, I, I think I think they're going to end up being one of they're going to end up being one of the co-ops that really model how this can potentially work for for other co-ops around uh, yeah. around the country. Um, so um, I guess uh, watch watch what uh, Great River Energy is up to over the next couple of years, and watch what some of the distribution co-ops like Connexus Energy and Dakota Electric are yeah. are going to get up to um, as well. Um, I think it's it's really exciting to you know to see after so many years of kind of opposition to a lot of uh, you know good clean energy policy yeah. uh, that it's uh it's really uh really headed the other way i mean so case in point uh minnesota we just passed a uh our 100 percent uh, clean energy standard uh, yeah in january yeah not, not to make you guys really jealous of us but um <laughs> it's a pretty but, amazing uh, accomplishment though yeah 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 you know it uh it, it started it started almost a decade ago as well when because you know in the before times when we uh when uh dflers were used to be elected um uh from rural parts of the world there was a uh yeah <laughs> um there was a a, a represent state representative in 2014 who first proposed this 100 percent clean energy standard it was pretty well laughed out of the room yeah um and you know then this next one was you know proposed a couple of years ago and uh you know finally happened um this year after some really good negotiation um and really good leadership both on both in the uh, uh house and senate side and you know the kind of uh coalition that grew up around it yeah but uh, in passing that the co-ops rather than you know being extremely opposed ended up being neutralized uh on on their opposition to it which um would have been totally unheard of just even a few years ago yeah i'd um, love to i'd love to have another podcast chat about how you all got that done <laughs> <laughs> Because uh, I mean, right now our renewable energy standard, you know, which Renew has already passed by ballot initiative back in 2008, is now, you know, kind of set at 15%. The investor and utilities have kind of gone well past that, even. But um, you know, we would really take a another ballot initiative to do it, um, and it just we haven't found the appetite for it here yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I'll see. legislative fix is pretty amazing. Well, see, we we don't have the ability to do uh, a ballot right. initiative because, oh, if if we did, Minnesota would be even uh, more progressive than it is already. That... Look like Tomorrowland, <laughs> yeah. Disney World. Yeah, give, give me a ballot initiative option. That sounds yeah. great. <laughs> well, don't worry, the Missouri legislature is trying to limit that. They they're worried that there's going to be an a, a, a an abortion. Uh, a ballot initiative in 2024. And I think they're wanting to try to make sure that's not as effective. They're trying to like put it at a 60% threshold and that sort of thing, you know, all sorts of chicanery. Oh boy. 
Oh man, that I know. Sounds, that sounds delightful. Well, but now that I've brought up the A word, I probably should. We should probably uh, <laughs> before we get on that topic, I better uh, wrap <laughs> up. Uh, Eric, if they want to learn more about your efforts at Cure, um, where should they go? Uh, well, we have a website, as many people do these days. Uh, ah, yes. Uh, CureRiver.org Cure um, is uh, is where you can find us there. Um, and also, you know, all the all the social media business. Yeah. Well, not all the social media business. Uh, I'm I'm not making TikToks out here. So okay, um, we are making TikToks, TikToks at Renew Missouri. But... Oh man, <laughs> I'm not, but uh, some of us are. <laughs> oh, who who do you have on staff? Are you paying to dance? Jeez, uh, she doesn't dance, but she's she's good with video editing. So that's uh, Tori Cheatham as our uh, outreach and outreach and education director and she's uh, she's made some really good videos to kind of explain some of these concepts in a very short amount of time which is very funny so you have to check those out oh that's cool eric thank you again for coming on i appreciate your insight and i thought this was really uh, informative so thank you absolutely thanks james and thank yeah thank you all for listening if you like what you heard subscribe to this on all major podcast platforms leave a review and share this on your social media presence uh, on behalf of Renew Missouri, this is James Owen a- asking you to all, until next time, take care of yourselves and each other. Bye.